good morning. Oh, I'm excited this morning. Oof, it's going to be good. I hope we're going to learn something, learn a few things. Um, I'm just curious, have you ever been out in public and a kiddo is just having a really tough time, like melting down, having a temper tantrum? Yeah, I see a lot of head nods. Um, well, years ago, when our oldest was three, and I was about eight months pregnant, really, really pregnant, um, we had to make a trip to Walmart. And we, we lived out about 35 minutes from town, so every time we came to Walmart, it was, a, it was a big deal, and we had a lot of stuff to get. And so we were about halfway through our shopping, and she got upset about something. She wanted me to open a, a bag of something that was in the cart, I don't know, animal crackers or something. And of course, she was our first, so I was like, no, absolutely not. You can be patient. You can wait. And so I kept shopping, and she kept like getting more and more upset. And finally, I remember exactly where we were standing, and she had had enough. She was so upset that I had not let her open whatever it was. And she is on the floor at Walmart, and uh, she's flailing around, kicking and screaming, and she's just she's just completely lost it. And I remember doing a calculation. At that time, I was like, is it possible? Can I pick her up and push the cart full of groceries and actually like make it out through checkout and like being this pregnant? I knew I could not, so I made the painful decision of having to leave the full cart of groceries in Walmart and carry her out. She was crying, I was crying, it was terrible. But I'm guessing you probably have a story, something like that you've maybe had kids that have done that, or maybe just witnessed. Maybe you were at Walmart when we were there that day. I do not know. But um, we all can probably explain why kiddos respond like that, right? Good reasons, right? Here's a few good reasons. Let's take a look as to why kids melt down. I told her she can't marry daddy or her brother. It's legit. It's legit. Her brother joined her for breakfast. I like the brother. Like, he's like, what is she doing? He didn't want to share his leg hole. <laughs> I can't fix his cracker. I won't let her wear dirty underwear as a hat. Makes sense, right? It makes sense. All good reasons. But we expect this response from kids, don't we? Like as adults, adults in the room are watching, like we understand that kiddos, their brains aren't fully developed yet. I think research just came out and said it was like 22 years old or something until our brains are fully developed, right? Kids don't have the ability to reason, to like think outside of their immediate situation and understand like this will pass and tomorrow's a new day and it's not as bad as this moment. And, they don't have coping mechanisms like, like adults do, right? So we, we expect this from kids. When they don't get what they want, they respond like this. But this whole uh, preparation time leading up to today, what's had me uh, reeling and what I've been wrestling with is what happens when adults don't get what they want? Or better yet, even, like what happens when Christians don't get what they want? How do you respond when you don't get what you want? I'm excited this morning. We're, we're taking an inside look. We get an inside look 
and to two different people who respond very differently when they each don't get what they want. And we're going to learn a lot about their story. But before we get into to, to these two people, I just want to catch us up to speed as to where we are. Last week, Roger opened up the study of Joseph. And he explained the family that Joseph came from. And he explained that he comes from this very dysfunctional family where Joseph's dad prefers him over his brothers. Not a good idea. And his brothers hate him for that. But also, not only that, Joseph had this dream that his brothers would bow to him someday. And Joseph shared that with his brothers. And again, his brothers hated him for it. So his brothers plan to, well, they do beat him. And they plan to kill him. But just before they do that, plans change and they decide to sell him as a slave instead because I guess why not make some money off of him, right? So we left off in chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 37 last week where it reads this. It says, meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So we pick up just as the story, or pick up in the story just as Joseph is sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And the first person we're going to get to know this morning is Potiphar's wife. And we don't even know Potiphar's wife's name. It doesn't mention that. We don't actually know a lot about her at all, which actually does tell us something about her. Because at this time in Scripture, we have to understand that, that women had little rights. They actually had little value. And so here's Potiphar's wife. She's married to Potiphar, and he's kind of a big deal. But she probably doesn't feel that she is. We can assume that Potiphar's wife likely feels very alone, unwanted, maybe neglected, and possibly unhappy. We can assume that Potiphar's wife is left with a desire or a longing to be known, to be seen, to be wanted. And so what does she do? It, it opens up in verse 6. It starts, it says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Right away, Potiphar's wife looks to Joseph to give her something to make her feel better. And as I was preparing for this message, it was interesting because I was thinking back as, onto all the different messages I've heard on Potiphar's wife, and every single time, Potiphar's wife is just ripped to shreds for this. And if I'm honest, my first response as I was, again, reading and preparing again was that same thing. Like, I'm angry with her, which I think is very valid, right? This is not okay, like, at all. But if I'm honest with you, as I was preparing, I was weeping because I was just made so aware of the fact that I am Potiphar's wife. I've been her. And I think if we were all honest, we would probably all say the same thing. I've been her. It might not look the same, it might not look like you going out, stepping outside of your marriage. For you, it might be that you look to food to make you feel better. You might look to scrolling, to spending, to sex, to porn, to a substance. 
to criticism, to people-pleasing, going above and beyond. For us, it might look like something different, but essentially, I think we're all her in some way or another. Anytime you haven't gotten what you want, you're tempted to find a fix from anyone or anything else. It's just what it is. We seek validation when we're vulnerable. When we're most vulnerable, we seek some type of validation from someone or something. We are most tempted to do that. It's like we're screaming inside, like, see me. Like, does, do I matter? We want something to fill that void, to make us feel better. And this is exactly what Potiphar's wife does. She looks to Joseph and she sees him exactly for what he is, someone to make her feel better, seen, valued. So she seduces him. What's interesting is that Potiphar's, or excuse me, Joseph declines her advances. Joseph declines And we see what Potiphar's wife does next in verse 10. It says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day after day after day. He was a slave for 11 years, scholars believe. She kept putting pressure on him day after day. His refusal, Joseph's refusal only fueled her attempts. And how often do we do that? When that conversation doesn't go as we want it to go, when we're not getting the apology we want, do we just fight harder and push harder to get it? How often when a situation might not go as we want or something might pass us by, do we just fight harder to get ahead of it and change it to make it be what we want it to be? When that quick fix on binging on food or a substance, scrolling, spending, fill in the blank, it doesn't do the trick, so you just do more. Or when that doesn't work, when everything you've tried doesn't work, do you try something new? This is exactly what Potiphar's wife does. She's not getting what she wants. She tries harder and harder and harder. She still doesn't get it. And next, in verse 11, it says this, One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running, Look! She said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Was this true? No. Potiphar's wife doesn't get what she wants, so she retaliates. She manipulates And she controls the situation to benefit her. Really what she did is she just seduced people into believing a story she created to destroy Joseph. And again, her behavior is not okay, but 
I have compassion for her because her behavior tells a story. I can't help but wonder, did she grow up in a family where she was told and made to believe maybe that she didn't matter? And then her whole life was that message just reinstated to her that she really wasn't worth much? I wonder if she learned at a young age how to lie, that sometimes you have to lie to stay safe or to prevent more harm from happening. I wonder if manipulation and control were her coping mechanisms, and that I wonder if she truly thought that that was acceptable, that this is how you get what you need from people. I'm sad to look back at the first 29 years of my life and see how many times I've lied or manipulated or controlled situations, people, to get what I wanted. Many times it was to get someone to tell me that they loved me. I remember even setting my husband up in like the worst, just stupid situations just to test how much he loved me. But sometimes it was for safety growing up. But also just sometimes because I knew I could get what I wanted. Counseling has helped me a ton and did help me a ton to see these unhealthy patterns in my life, but honestly, it was not until I was 29. I was sitting back there in this room, and I learned about the love of Jesus, and I surrendered my life to him, began to understand who I was in him, which allowed me to confess all of this stuff that I had been, the ways that I have been living my life, which then helped me begin on this healing journey with the Lord to break free from that. But I still see this all the time within mature Christians even, because what, what we tend to, to think, what I've learned is what we this is what we do. We think that Christians, people who have been walking with Jesus, maybe their entire lives, people who maybe are leading small groups or teaching Bible studies, who are maybe well-respected in the Christian community, we tend to think that those things are somehow a measure of relational and emotional health. But they're not. Like at all. It is entirely possible to walk with Jesus, but not at all walk like Jesus. It's entirely possible, and I believe this is one of the main reasons why unbelievers want nothing to do with Christianity. Because as Christians, we know the healer, 
but many of us haven't even gone on the healing journey with him. So we just stay stuck in these patterns of unhealthy behavior. It's hard to be a witness for Jesus when we look nothing like him. And every time we manipulate, we control, we, we lie, we fight for our own way, every time it just reveals to the world our pain and where we're at on our healing journey. Be careful. Be careful to not let the real pain of rejection, the pain of your past, be careful to not let that lead you into retaliation, devising your own plan, creating your own solution, or getting ahead of the Lord's timing. So Potiphar's wife, she retaliates. She makes up a bunch of stuff against Joseph. And what happens next? Starting in verse 16, it says, she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said, but when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Potiphar's wife was persuasive. It's interesting, if you look up this, uh, the definition of seduction and persuasion, they're like almost the exact same thing. Potiphar believed her. She knew that Joseph was being punished for doing the right thing, and she was fine with it because it benefited her. Potiphar's wife, again, she is a great example of how we, when we don't get what we want, and when we, when we have unhealed pain, when we have unhealthy patterns of behavior, how we will hurt people knowingly or unknowingly. So what about Joseph? Just like Potiphar's wife, similar to her, Joseph has not gotten what he wanted at all. He thought his, his family would be bowing to him. He thought he'd be this master. But he's a slave. But right off the bat in verse 2, it reads this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in your suffering, in a circumstance that you don't want to be in. The Lord is with you. Open scripture and you'll see Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Luke chapter 1 verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you, Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you when everything around you is uncertain and it is not at all what you want it to be. Continuing in verse 2, it says, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. It's fascinating. Because the Lord was with Joseph, it's, it's obvious, it's clear that the Lord 
soften Joseph's heart toward Potiphar, toward his master, to the point where Joseph served him. Joseph served the very one he could have easily despised. The Lord gave him compassion for him, though, and that compassion toward Potiphar that Joseph had opened doors for Joseph. And the same is true for you. In your hardship, in ways you cannot comprehend, maybe perhaps ever will comprehend, the Lord moves on your behalf. Next, starting in verse 3, it says, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. And later in our passage, yeah, starting in verse 19, it says, Potiphar was furious when he, heard about his, when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. What's crazy if you think about this is this is not good. Joseph, think about it. Joseph is a slave and now he's been put into prison. From our worldly perspective, from the outside perspective even, we look at this and we say, this is not good. This is not an answered prayer. It's getting worse, right? That's what we think when we look at this. However, Scripture says that the Lord blessed Joseph. We have to be careful because uh, what we think in our Christian modern world is we think, we see like hashtag blessed, like, you know, the air conditioning turned back on, hashtag blessed, you know, like we've got some extra income, blessed. We think that being blessed, we can sometimes think that being blessed is being taken out of a hardship. Like, there's an ease of, an ease from difficulty. But that's not at all what we see in this passage. In fact, it gets worse. It gets more difficult. Joseph is in a worse situation, much worse. But he's being blessed. The blessing is in a deeper knowing of God. That is the blessing, and that oftentimes only comes through situations we do not want to be in. But that is blessing. And finally, oh, whoops, I, lost, I forgot that last point. Walking with God in your hardship, the blessing is deeper intimacy with him. Finally, starting in verse 8, after Potiphar's wife came on to him, it says, but Joseph refused. Look, he said, 
told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And then further in verse 12, it says, after coming on to him day after day after day, Joseph tore himself away. Other translations say he ran out of the house. He ran from her. He escaped and ran away. Think about it. Joseph in this situation that already looks bleak, how easy would it have been for him to just give in? How often do we, when we, are, when we are in a situation where we don't get what we want, do we respond with apathy? Like indifference. Like whatever. <laughs> I don't even care. Instead, Joseph, he responds in faith. He did not allow his circumstances to dictate his behavior. He only allowed faith to be his guide. When you don't get what you want, responding with faithfulness to God, it brings you freedom because you won't be settling for any temporary relief. You won't be looking to any idol. You'll be faithful to God. So how can we respond when we don't get what we want? Three simple things this morning. I'm like, how can we remember? Anytime we don't get what we want. Three things. First, admit. Admit and say, Lord, this is not what I wanted. It's one of the most healthy practices that I'm, I continue to try to lean into is the, to grieve your reality. Grieve the reality of today. Name your losses. This is not what I wanted. Name them and grieve them. Admit. Admit it next. Instead of seeking your own plan for reprieve, a plan to avoid or change or rush. Instead of that, ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you teaching me? Joseph was a slave for 11 years, in prison for two, scholars believe. Just think it took that, that long, 13-ish years, for Joseph to be humbled enough to be ready to lead. Lord, what are you teaching me? Next, then, acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty. By itself, chapter 39 is so sad. and It's unfair, really, by itself. But the Lord is sovereign over any man's plans, failures, choices, He is sovereign over evil and suffering. And we're going to see that over the next few weeks too, just how the Lord had a plan for Joseph through all of this. But God is in control. He is in control in the face of evil and suffering. Uh, I spent the first 29 years of my life angry, really, really angry. That's an understatement at God. because I grew up in a pit. 
My parents divorced when I was young. They grew up in a home that was really dysfunctional. I knew people loved alcohol and other things more than me. As a teenager, I lost two aunts to cancer who I loved dearly. At 16, I started dating a 21-year-old who introduced me to drugs, pornography, and a little literal life of running. At 19, that same man beat me. The cops saved my life. And a year after that, I, I was diagnosed with melanoma. And I did not understand at all the Lord's love for me, definitely, nor did I understand his sovereignty. But I can say today with 100% certainty that had any one, and those were the highlights, but if had any one of those not happened, I really don't think I would have sat back there and actually surrendered my life to Christ. The Lord knew. The Lord knew. I believe he knew that every single one of those things actually did need to happen to me for the stubborn heart to actually understand and then give my life to him. But what I realized today, too, and just preparing and, and studying Joseph is that the Lord was after my freedom. And that's the one difference, really, between Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Joseph was free. Potiphar's wife was not. Joseph did not have to look to something to make him feel better. He didn't have to look to someone to make him feel worth something. He didn't have to fight for his own, own way or strive or rush or manipulate or control. He didn't have to. He was free. He knew God and he knew he was sovereign and he had allowed God to bring him on a healing journey. Joseph was free. And I think for us, I think that's what the Lord is after for each of us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you know every person in this room watching, listening. Jesus, you know every bit of their story. You know every single part where there is pain. For anyone here this morning who has felt rejected, anyone in this room who has been mistreated, who's not been shown unconditional love, who's been told lies about who they are, who maybe they are still carrying those lies. 
Jesus, you are saying to them this morning that that does not represent who you are. That does not represent your love. Jesus, for anyone here this morning who has been fighting, continuing to look to something to make them feel better, to numb the pain of their past, numb the pain of these lies they've been told, Jesus, we just surrender this to you. Holy Spirit, would you just now, would you show each of us? We ask you, Holy Spirit, what have I been looking to? What have I been looking to? What have I been turning to? What's been my coping mechanism to make me feel better? Jesus, we repent of that. We repent of looking to these idols instead of you. We ask you to heal these wounds in our heart. Give us a new story built on your love. We want to be free from fighting for our own way. We want to be free from control, from needing to manipulate. Jesus, heal these places in our hearts that cause us to, to back into these places that are not healthy. Jesus, renew us. Come in and heal us. We want your peace. We want your healing. We want your love. We want freedom. We want freedom, Jesus. So this morning, Father, I just pray that anyone in this room that is feeling like, I want freedom, that, that you're nudging their heart, you're saying, I'm after your freedom here this morning, I pray that they would just respond wholeheartedly, like they're the only one in this room. Jesus, we, I just now declare freedom in this room, in this place. We want to be free. We want to live in the abundance that you've come to die to give us. We thank you, Lord. Lord, 